today we're wrapping up a, uh, a series that we began back in September called Repurpose. If you're with us for the first time today, the, the essence of this series is that um, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he repurposes us. And uh, the roadmap we've used for the series comes out of a letter in the New Testament called Galatians. And in fact, it comes out of the last half of that letter. And uh, today we're coming to the last few verses of that letter. And years and years ago, when I was a young preacher, I was at a, a, a preaching conference where this guy got up and he said, now preaching is really simple. He said, what you need to do is this. You tell people what you're gonna tell them, then you tell them. Then you tell them what you told them. And then you sit down. And for those of you who've heard me, that I, I, my brain just doesn't work like that, all right? I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's just like redundant. And, and you're smarter than that. But the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul actually did that to the church in Galatia. Because the whole essence of this letter, he tells them throughout the letter, is that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ alone. Alone in that Christ is the only one, and alone in that faith is all that is required. Because you see, after Paul had come and taught these people in the southern region of Galatia, these several different towns, and he went on to another area to tell people about Jesus there, then what happened is some people came behind him. And, and those of you who've been with us through the series know that, that I, I just get all, I, I kind of get enamored with the fact that, that theologians have labeled that group of people that came behind him as the Judaizers. It always sounded cool to me. It's like they ought to have jackets and tattoos. It's like, we're the Judaizers, right? And we're, we're here. And, and what the Judaizers have done is they've come behind Paul, and here's what they've said. They've said, you know what? It's not enough for you to have faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is just the starting point. And after you have faith in Jesus, then you need to become a Jewish convert. You need to become a Hebrew you need to, men, be circumcised. Men and women, you need to follow the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Uh, men and women, you need to follow all the Sabbath laws. You need to live your life as if you were a Jew, even though you have accepted Jesus. And when word of that got back to the Apostle Paul, then the Apostle Paul writes this letter. And it's the earliest letter we have from the Apostle Paul. Before he wrote Romans, before he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians, before he wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians, all of these other letters, no, no, this is the first one he wrote. And, and, and he wrote it so that, so that they would be able to understand the, the, the heresy involved in trying to make a relationship with God through Jesus Christ into some kind of religious system that, that out of your human flesh, you can just do these things in this religious system and that makes you right with God. Because you don't have the ability in yourself. None of us does. None of us has the ability to, to do everything right. I, I have a couple of brothers. One of them is a high school basketball coach in Alabama. He called me this week to, to tell me that uh, his starting point guard, who had already signed her scholarship with uh, a, a college before the season even began this year, has had some family conflict. And she actually ran away from home as a senior in high school. And my brother, being who he is, found out from the authorities there the time limit for how fast he could, because it's a small town in Alabama, and he's been coaching there for a long time, and everybody knows him because, well, 
Yeah, he's my brother. That's just what happens with him. He makes everybody know who he is. He has, he's my baby brother, and ever since he showed up, the whole world has revolved around him. I have no bitterness, okay? Uh, <laughs> n- none at all, all right? But, but he managed to find out from the authorities what was going on, and so he got in his car, and he drove down to Birmingham where she had gone, found where she was, got her, bring her back to her home, and then her father, her father who claims to be this powerful Christian man, but who had actually said to his daughter, maybe you heard this, this is my house, these are my rules, and if you don't follow them, you can leave. So she did. And he was like, I'm not taking her back. She's disrespected me. And then my brother, the coach. My brother, the coach, then suddenly became my brother, the preacher. He's not a preacher. He never studied in seminary, but he grew up in a house and a family full of preachers. And so he... He was talking to this dad's brother who was telling him, well, coach, you know, he's not going to let her back in the house and we're going to make some other. He said, well, you know, your brother claims to be a follower of Jesus, doesn't he? He said, yeah, yeah. He says, we know I've been reading that Bible about a a guy who ran away, a a son. Uh, They call him the prodigal. And uh, when he ran away, when he came back, if I read that Bible right, there was a party. When, 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 he, when he came back, there were open arms. There wasn't anybody with their arms crossed going, if you don't follow my rules, you're not going to live in my house. So maybe your brother needs to think about that next time he starts telling everybody what Jesus would do and maybe treat his daughter that way. When he's telling me this story over the phone, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. You listened to at least one sermon in your life. You listened. And you got it going right. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to these people is, hey, listen, don't just listen to the people who want to make Christianity all about the rules and the regulations. Instead, remember, it's by faith in Jesus Christ alone that you come to know who you were really meant to be. Because the truth of the Scripture is that all of us were made in the image of God. And the fact of the matter is that changing your external behavior will not change your internal self. But changing your internal self will always change your external behavior. Now, I realize there may be some of you who have been involved as psychology majors or psychiatrists or counselors who, who have used something that's called behavior modification. And I, and I believe behavior modification is helpful. I've, I've used it in certain situations that you're changing your behavior can get you out of things. But here's what I know. Changing your behavior will not change your soul. Changing your behavior will change your behavior. But changing your behavior will not, will not align you with God. There's only one thing that will align you with God. And that's accepting the grace and love and mercy and forgiveness that he offered to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to tell these people. And so this morning, as we're wrapping up this series, the Apostle Paul, in the last few verses of this letter, he actually does what that preacher told us at that clinic. He he tells them what he's told them one more time. And so this morning, I, I invite you to listen, because what he says is really, really important, whether you're the prodigal son or daughter or the father or mother with a child returning home, or whether you're someone who's just here today on campus or online and you're just asking questions. Listen 
to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 11. And Paul does a, a really interesting piece with this. He, uh, he gets really personal. Uh, we've been, at our home, we've been uh, remodeling our kitchen. I say we. That means we hired someone to do it. And, and part of my job was to clean out all the paperwork that has accumulated in our home in that kitchen. For whatever reason, when we moved into that house, we, I decided to use the top shelves, the ones my wife cannot reach, all right, as, as the place to store the stuff, okay? And so we started, and I found all kinds, I found the original loan papers from when we bought the house. I, um, I, I found uh, I found hospital bills that I paid when my boys were in elementary school, and they're both grown men now, you know. Um, and then I found a letter, a letter from my father, my father who has been with the Lord now for 11 years. But he wrote this letter not while I was the pastor here, but when I was a college student. Uh, because, you see, in my family, um, when my brothers and I went to college, uh, our, our parents could not afford to pay part of our tuition. Uh, they would send us spending money. We were, we were the ones who had to figure out how to get our tuition paid, either with a scholarship or a, a loan or, or something along those lines, a job on campus, whatever we could do. And, um, and all three of us did that. But my father would send us, he would send us spending money. That's what he called it. And this particular letter that I found, tucked away, way up in the top of the shelves, was, uh, was a letter that he had written me along with one of those checks. And, um, and, and the checks were $100 a month. Now, I, I know $100 a month in the dark ages when I went to college was a whole lot more than $100 a month now. Right? In fact, for, uh, for $100 a month, I lived pretty well because I'd figured out I had a Vega, gas was 70 cents a gallon, I could take my girlfriend to the movies for five bucks. We could go get pizza for 10. I could tithe off my $25 a week, have $22.50 left, 10 for the girlfriend, five for the car, five to save. It was a good life. But can I tell you something? That letter had been written. My father hand wrote it. Why didn't he type in this? It was a handwritten letter, and it was telling me all about things my brothers were doing and my family, and, and I'm telling you, that didn't get thrown away because it was personal. What I'm about to read to you is personal from the Apostle Paul to some churches in Galatia and to you. Listen. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. 
Now, what in the world is Paul saying? First of all, he says, look, this is a personal letter. I, I want you to know I'm not dictating this to a scribe anymore. I've taken the parchment, I've taken the pen, I'm writing this. See, I'm writing this part of the letter with my own handwriting. You people know me. I lived among you for a, a season. You know my handwriting. This is me personally, Paul, talking to you. And what I want you to know is that these people who've come behind me, they're not doing it for the right motives. They're not, they're not asking you to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament laws and follow the Sabbath laws. They're not doing that for your benefit. No, they're, they're doing it for their own benefit. They're doing it so that, so that they can tell other people about how many people they've brought into the Jewish religion. They're, they're, they're kind of like, they're, they're like just exploiting you for their own benefit. And I have to tell you, it occurs to me that in the 21st century, there are a lot of people exploiting others for their own benefit. And what Paul is trying to say is, look, if you're gonna walk with Jesus, then you gotta know Jesus is never gonna exploit you for, for his benefit. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross for himself. He came and died on a cross for you. Jesus didn't ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, to be there for us, to intercede for us, as Heather was talking about earlier, to be face-to-face -face with God and with us, to, to lift our burdens before God himself. He didn't do that for his own benefit. He did that for yours. And what Paul is saying about these people who've come behind him and about anyone who would try to make you have to go through a religious system in order to have an experience with God is that the experience of Jesus Christ supersedes all religious systems. It's not about how good you act. It's not about what behavior you change. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he, he wants them to understand that, that he's writing this and it's personal, but it's also, it's also communal. You see, walking with Jesus, yes, you have to make the decision. It's a personal decision. But when you make that decision, you make it in the context of a body of believers. You make it in the context of people of faith. Now, maybe you accepted Christ at a concert, or maybe you accepted Christ at a youth camp, or maybe you accepted Christ when one individual talked to you. But the fact of the matter is, once you accept Christ, he places you in the body of Christ. And as a member of the body of Christ, we live together. We spend our lives serving Jesus Christ together. There's no isolationism. I mean, listen, there are no Lone Ranger, no Lone Ranger Christians. It doesn't work that way. Well, I just, you know, I got my family in mind and we're just gonna do it our way. No, no, listen to me. No matter how you try to isolate, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you become a part of the family of God. Now, I know the family of God is just as weird as your physical family. Some of the people in your family you do not want at your house on Thanksgiving. I know that. They don't know that. They keep showing up. And there are some people in the body of Christ who do things or think differently than you do. But here's what you've got to know. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to get along with people who don't agree with you. See, the church of Christ, the church of God, the body of Christ, the body of believers, those who follow Jesus, is not about uniformity. It's about unity. And the difference between uniformity and unity is vast. See, in uniformity, 
You and I look alike, talk alike, think alike, act alike. And I'll be honest, I've told many of you this before. In uniformity, if, we're, if you and I both look alike, act alike, think alike, one of us is useless in the world. You think it's me. I'm pretty sure it's you. But what Paul's saying is, look, when, when you accept Jesus, it's this personal faith lived out in the community of believers. Uh, along my life journey, I've, I've had two colleagues, friends. I've known them since college days or shortly thereafter. One of them was in my wedding. Throughout the years, we have, we have held each other accountable. They, they've been the guys that whenever I was trying to figure something out in the life of the church I was pastoring, they are both pastors, I would call them. Whenever something was happening with my kids or something was happening with their kids, they would call me. I have these people who have for over four decades now held me accountable to the commitments I've made to Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about them both this weekend because when my parents both passed away, they were there for me. And this last week, one of them lost a mother. The other one lost a father. And for me, these are my brothers in Christ. These are the people who I've walked through the life with. These are the people that I've served alongside. These are the people I've dreamed dreams with. These are the people I've cried tears with. These are the people who said to me, hey, Carrie, you, you, really, you really can't do that. And I'm like, well, why not? It's just not smart, Carrie. Well, I'm smart. You know, I mean, no, you've got to have somebody who will confront you. Now listen, some of you appoint yourselves to confront everybody. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I remember my first church, we had this guy, real, bless his heart, didn't mean to be, he thought he was doing right, but his job, he thought in the church, was to tell everybody else where they were wrong. And he would do it, and he would use this phrase, he'd misquote scripture. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sharing the truth in love. I'm like, first of all, it's not truth, and secondly, it's not love. It's your opinion and your preference, but it has nothing to do with love and it has nothing to do with the truth of God. And so what Paul's saying is, hey look, these guys have come along behind you and here's why they're doing it. They're doing it so that they can avoid the cross of Christ. Now some of you are leaving and what do you mean? Avoid the cross of Christ. Well, see, if, if they were successful in getting these new believers to accept the Jewish regulations, then, the people who were Jewish would not be upset with them for following Jesus. Because, you know what? You're, you're bringing converts to Judaism. That's okay. They can, they, can follow, they can follow Jesus and become Jewish. We'll take them. And so they lost the pressure there. But they also would lose the pressure from the Roman Empire if these people would convert to Judaism. Because I don't know if you remember the story or not, but, but when Jesus was being crucified, when he was being brought before Pilate for trial, do you remember? It was the Jewish people who said to Pilate, hey, he claims to be a king, and there's no king but Caesar. 
And so people who were following Jesus in the Roman Empire in the first century at this point in time in 48 AD, these people, these people are going to be facing uphill battles. They're going to be facing, facing persecution. They're going to be facing trial and tribulation. So if they could get these people to, to convert and say, you know what, I follow Jesus, but I'm also following the Jewish law, then, then what happens is the Jewish people are like, oh, okay, great, you got more of us. And the Roman people are like, oh, okay, those are just Jews. We've already given them permission to keep their traditions. And all of that was based in these people's desire to avoid the reality that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it changes everything. And walking with Jesus, it's a commitment that's personal and communal. Look again at the words that I read for you earlier. Paul's writing. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand? It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They can say, hey, you know what? We did that. But can I tell you? That's not why Jesus died on a cross. That's not why God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that if anyone would believe in him, they could have eternal life. No, no. See, see, Jesus came to show you that if you make a personal commitment to him and you live it out in a communal commitment with the body of Christ, that you are then being the person that you were created to be. Because remember, until you meet Jesus, until you ask Jesus into your life, you're not living the way you were created to live. Oh yeah, you, you may have things going well, you may have things that are working right, but you may also have things falling apart. You may have things in different parts of your life that are working, but I'm telling you, you were made for more than that. You were made, you were created, you have breath in you because you were made to live in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you see, walking with Jesus, it, it creates this, this relationship with, with Jesus through the cross. The way I, I like to phrase it is this, walking with Jesus creates a reciprocal relationship with crucifixion. A reciprocal relationship of crucifixion between us and the world around us. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, when you say reciprocal relationship, well, what it means is that, that when you accept Jesus, when you make that personal commitment, that communal commitment to live as a member of the body of Christ, when you decide that, you know what, these are the values I'm gonna have, not because they're mine, but because they are, they are the values that Jesus puts in me, then it begins to create this relationship, this reciprocity in, in which the crucifixion that Jesus endured does two things for you. Uh, look at the way Paul says it. it. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, get this, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What in the world is he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is that when you accept Jesus, as your Savior and Lord, and he begins to change the internal stuff in your life, 
that is manifested in the, in the external stuff. But remember, the external stuff can't change the internal stuff. The internal stuff can change the external. So when you have this relationship where you understand that Jesus died on the cross for you, when you understand that Jesus suffered and bled and died for your sins, not just the sins of everybody else, not just the ones you can point out to everybody, but for you, for your life, then it begins to change who you are inside. And things that used to tempt you, things that used to eat you up, they, they don't eat you up anymore. And, and how we handle this reciprocity, how we handle this, this understanding that our lives are shaped by the death and the suffering, the crucifixion of Jesus changes how we perceive ourselves and those around us. Um, before I pastored here, I pastored in Daytona Beach, Florida. And um, I, I just, I'm gonna say something that will offend some of you. I just want you to understand, I'm sorry. Ahead of time, I can't, I can't, you know, can't change this, I've tried. I just don't like NASCAR. And if you're pastoring in Daytona Beach, Florida, NASCAR, I mean, that's the home of NASCAR, right? I mean, you got the Daytona 500, it's a, it's a great thing. And so these guys at the church, when I moved down there from Tennessee, they're like, well, you're from Tennessee, you, got, you, you grew up in Mississippi, you, you gotta like NASCAR. I'm like, I don't understand the point. I really don't. I mean, you can go 120 miles an hour and be in the same place. And you can go that fast that long for a long time and you're still in the same place. What is the point of this? I mean, now, if you want to get in the car and let's drive 120 miles from Daytona Beach to Miami, that's going to be a party, all right? And they're like, oh, you just haven't experienced it yet. I said, you're right, I haven't. I don't understand it. And so they took me to the twin 125s. The, the race, and this will date me a lot, but it was, it was Richard Petty's last race. And, and I watched him crash in the twin 125s. I stood, I stood, they're like, you just stand down here, feel the cars go by. I stood down there like, vroom, I'm like, okay, big deal, all right? I said, yeah, I, I, I'm, and, but in the process, God gave me one of the best analogies of what it means to live your life free from stuff that used to, used to hold you hostage. Because you see, there was this guy, this guy sitting in front of us, and uh, it's, it's February in Daytona. It's warm, it's humid. It's all the things people in Indiana long for in February. And there's this guy sitting in front of us and he's wearing one of those hats, like pilot hats with the furry, furry ear things and it flopped down and all that kind of, he's wearing that like he's cold. And he's got a cooler full of beer. And he's got four girls, four girls, one guy, four girls. And they're like taking turns, getting the beer and sitting on his lap. And they were more fun to watch than the race. I'm just telling you right now. And the guys, and the guys with me who are elders of the church are trying to indoctrinate me into NASCAR. They're looking at me and they're saying, hey, you know, you came here from Tennessee. He, he kind of looks like he's from Tennessee. Now, folks, I want you to understand, not all the rednecks in the world live south of the Ohio River. Because these guys that were with me, they were originally from Ohio, and they were Wisconsin, one of them, you know, and, and so we're sitting there, and, and I'd had enough. They were just like, well, I'll bet you he's from Chattanooga. That's where you came from, you know, and, and so I, 
I couldn't resist. I leaned over and top, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, buddy. He said, he turned around and he grinned. I promise you, he had no teeth right here. Just toothless grin. And he goes, he said, yeah. I said, hey, listen, man. We're just here talking about this. I just want to know, where are you from? And that big old toothless grin, he held up a can of old Milwaukee. He said, I'm from Milwaukee, buddy. You want a beer? No temptation at all for me at that point in time. Now, and no temptation with the girls. I'll just be real honest with you. It wasn't because the elders were sitting with me. It's because a long time before that day, I, uh, I settled. I settled the question about some things that would be a part of my life and not be a part of my life. And it didn't come because somebody said, oh, you can't do that. Because by the way, I didn't look at him and go, oh, oh no. I mean, we carried on a conversation. So hey, where, where are you from? Well, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from Milwaukee. I'm just down here for the races. And he turns to me and says, and, and where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from Daytona. And I asked him, I said, what do you do? Oh, I run a store. I'm like, you better have some dentures, buddy. I'm just telling you right now. And he looks at me and goes, he goes, and what do you do? Now, my response at that moment was not to say, uh, my name is Dr. Kerry B. Robinson. I'm the uh, pastor of Whitechapel Church of God and president of Warner Christian Academy, the largest Christian school in Volusia County, Florida. That was not my answer to him. My answer to him was, my name's Kerry. I live here. I work with people. Cool. You want a beer? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. See, I, I tell you a story like that because I, I want you to understand, even in the little things of your life, there has to be this place where walking with Jesus, it, it, yeah, it, you do that in a, in a personal commitment and with a communal commitment, but, but when you do it, 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 begins, it begins to change who you are so that you understand that the things in the world that tempt you or tempt other people, they're powerless in the face of the cross. See, there, there are some of you right now who are wrestling with alcoholism because you don't understand that the power of the cross can set you free. There's some of you right now who are wrestling with an addiction to pornography because you don't understand that the power of the cross can set you free. There, there's some of us right now who, who wrestle with all forms of failure in our lives, broken marriages, broken relationships, grandchildren, children who are prodigals, and we want to do like my brother's friend. Well, you can't come in my house. No, 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 no. Listen, the power of the cross sets you free from pride. The power of the cross sets you free from the need to tell everybody else who they are and what they ought to be doing. See, this reciprocal relationship of crucifixion says that Jesus died on the cross. And in that moment, the things that used to give me, when I accept Jesus, then I'm actually crucifying the things that used to take me out. I'm giving them to Jesus. And as long as I leave them with Jesus, as long as I build this relationship of personal and communal commitment to him, then what happens is I'm able to live in that moment and that temptation, while it is still there and it is still real, it has no power over me. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, 
I've crucified the world, and the world's crucified to me. In the church these days, there's too much, too, 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 too many of us who are, who, are, who are not willing to understand that in Jesus Christ, he changes the internal so that the external looks different. We've settled for human, human rules and regulations, list of things to do and not to do, instead of an experience with the power of the cross where Jesus comes in and he takes all of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying you're perfect from that moment. I'm not saying you're never tempted again. But what I'm saying is this. The one who was tempted in every way as you've been tempted has already paid the price for your temptation. And if you will trust in him, if you will lean into him, if you will let him repurpose you by walking with you and you walking with him. See, that's, that's the nuance, isn't it? So many of us want to ask Jesus, Jesus, just come on down and walk with me. No, listen, he's inviting you to walk with him. And that's different. He will walk with you until you learn how to walk with him. I have a two-year-old granddaughter. On Friday, we were going to take a walk. And so, we're headed around our neighborhood. I'm walking with her until she decides she wants to walk into some places she should not walk. And at that point in time, she had to walk with me. Now the difference is subtle. When I'm walking with her, I can put one finger out, she'll grab my hand and she'll just walk with me because we're walking where she wants to go. But when I look at her and say, hey, you gotta, you know, we're not going there. Now suddenly, she's gone. Because she's going to walk the way she wants to walk. And at that point in time, my hand is grabbing her hand. Because I know the danger that's over there that she has no idea that's there. Jesus Christ is more than just your buddy. He's more than just your friend. He's more than just somebody to come and get you out of trouble, to walk with you. No, no. He's inviting you to walk with him. He's inviting you to walk with him in, in a way in which your heart has been changed. Your life has been set new. You, you, you've crucified the, with him in his crucifixion. It's changed your relationship to everything else in the world. And when that happens, when that happens, you, you become a new creation. You see, walking with Jesus makes us a new creation marked by peace, mercy. I would even tell you it's marked by wholeness and contentment. Oh, yeah, there's still tough days. There's, there's still times that, that, that it, it's upheaval in your life. But what I know is, I, I, I know that when you decide to walk in paths of righteousness for his namesake, as David tells us in the 23rd Psalm, when you decide to, to, to live your life connected to him in such a way that the internal is now setting the agenda for the external, when his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy are in your life and you're connected to that and instead of you asking him to walk with you, you're saying, can I walk with you, Jesus? Then, then suddenly your life becomes different.
your life becomes new. Several years ago, there was a Sunday like this where I looked out as I was talking and, and there, was a, there was a couple from our church. They'd been coming for, I don't know, a year or so. And they had some, some people who were with them. I'd never seen them before. Found out later it was their first Sunday here. At the end of the service, like I do many times, I, uh, I said, hey, you know what? If God's been talking to you this morning, then um, if you want to come and have somebody pray with you about that, these altars, the ones right here closest to me, they're here for you, for somebody to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. And, and, and out underneath the windows, there are some altars. If you just want some space with God, just, just time for you and, you and Jesus to talk, then that's what that's there for. And kind of to my surprise, as we were singing, this lady came down and knelt. And her friend, who'd been coming to church with her for a while, came with her. And, and she, uh, she knelt with her. And uh, I went over and I said, would you like me to pray with you? She said, well, yes, sir, if you, if you would. I said, well, what can I pray with you about? She said, well, I'm not really sure how to put it into words. I said, but this is my neighbor, and she invited me. She's been asking me to come to church. She said something you know, different in her life because she's been here to church. And I'll have to be honest with you. We've been neighbors a long time. And, and I don't know what happened to her, but I want that. Because I'm telling you, she was the biggest gossip in the neighborhood. She was mean to the little kids in the neighborhood. She was not a good person, and now suddenly she's loving and she's caring, and things are, you know, she's just different. And I don't know how you made her different, but I want whatever it is that she's got. And I looked at the other lady, and she goes, yeah, I was pretty much a, and I'm not saying that word right now. <laughs> and I said, well, do you want to tell her the difference in your life? She goes, sure. She looked at her neighbor, and she goes, I gave up control and gave it to Jesus. And he's making me a new person. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm, I'm becoming a new person. You see, later on, the Apostle Paul, who writes these words to us to close out this amazing letter, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. These were people, by the way, who had watched Paul be stoned in Lystra, which is a part of the region. He was stoned and left for dead outside the city. They know about the marks on his body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, and I would add sisters. Amen. You see... When, you, when you're able to say to Jesus, I want you to be in control of my life. I'm gonna make a personal commitment to you and it's gonna place me in this community called the body of Christ. And I'm, and I'm gonna live that out in such a way that, that because of the crucifixion, there's this, this reciprocity, this relationship in which the things that used to tempt me and the things that used to pull me away they no longer pull me away, not because I'm such a good person and not because I've done so much and I'm so intelligent and I've worked so hard, but because the grace and mercy of a crucified Christ is now in my life. I, 
I want you to know he makes a new creature out of you. Some years later when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, one of the two letters that he wrote there, he makes this amazing statement. It's fascinated me for years. He says, I used to regard Jesus from the flesh, from humanity. But then I met him and I discovered that, that there was more to Jesus than just the rules, the regulations, the religion, the miracles. No, no, there was, there was this relationship. And so I no longer view Jesus from the flesh. And because of that, I, I no longer view anybody else that way too. Because now I know that in Christ, the old has passed away and all things have become new. And we become new creatures. So I no longer look at people the way I used to look at people. Now I look at them and see what they were made to be, sons and daughters of God. So this morning, I just thought it, I just thought it might be important that as we kind of wrap up our time together, there might be some of you here who really need to make that personal commitment. That there might be some of you here who really need to crucify some things with Christ. Actually, let him crucify them. That there might be some of you here who are ready to put the old life away and become a new person in Jesus. And so here's what I want to do. Whether you're in the balcony or on the main floor, or even with us online. I'm gonna ask you right now to bow your head and close your eyes. And, and if that's where you're at today, if you're at a place where as I've been talking, you, you, you know that there's just some stuff in your life that, that you've, gotta, you've gotta say to Jesus, man, I, I can't handle this anymore. I need to walk with you instead of asking you to walk with me in this. I, I, need, I need to be a new person. And so I'm ready to trust you with it. I'm, I'm ready to say, hey, Jesus, you're in control of everything. If you're, if you're online with us, Pastor Preston and the host will be more than happy to pray with you. There's a prayer room. It'll be confidential. Nobody else will know. And I'm gonna ask you, if that's where you are today, just to click that link for prayer and They'll meet you in the prayer, prayer room. For those of you who are on campus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, I can see you. I'm gonna ask you, if that's where you're at today and you're ready to say, I, I, I wanna be a new person in Christ, just I'm gonna ask you, would you just raise your hand? Just slip your hand up and say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I need to be a new person in Christ right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, let's pray together, okay? God, for the people around this room who've raised their hands, for the people online who are in the chat rooms right now, in the prayer rooms right now. I ask you to, I ask you to forgive them. 
to extend mercy to them. Lord, I thank you for their courage, for the courage to, to raise a hand or to click on a link, for the courage to, to say, I'm not gonna control my life anymore, but instead to let you be in control. Jesus, you know exactly what's going on in their life. You know the pain, you know the heartache, you know the suffering, you know the failure, you know the success, you know the joy, you know it all. And you know the ones that are trying to control it themselves and not let you be in control. So Lord, right now, for every hand that was raised, for every heart that is wrestling with you, I ask you to speak grace, and peace, and forgiveness, and mercy. I ask you to make them into new creatures, the creatures you created them to be, not, not what the world tells them they are, not what their, not what their experience says they are, but, but the, the, the new person that you, you made them to be. Right now, in this moment, take their feet out of miry clay, get them unstuck out of their life, and set them on a firm path that walks with you. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. May God bless you. I hope you'll come next week. We're going to launch a new series out of one of my favorite books or parts of the Bible, the 103rd Psalm. Uh, it's an amazing statement of God's goodness and blessing to us. I hope you'll join us. And who knows, maybe bring a friend, somebody who knows what you used to be like. And they could be new too. Go with God's grace and his peace.